0: All right, these are notes from um, the Purple Book, chapter three, Neuroanatomy, Nerve Injuries and Sensory Reeducation. Again, these are not going over the questions themselves, but simply concepts that I took out of it that I felt like I needed to review. Uh, so the first term is neuropraxia. Neuropraxia is where there's temporary loss of motor and sensory function due to nerve compression. In a neuropraxic injury, the integrity of the axon is preserved. The endoneurium, perineurium, and epineurium are all intact. Patients can expect a full recovery without surgery. Recovery will be within days to weeks because the axon is anatomically intact. A nerve conduction velocity test will be normal, but EMGs will show absent motor action potentials. So neuropraxia, an example of this, is somebody with mild carpal tunnel syndrome. When you're treating nerve compression, the treatment should be determined by the stage of degree of the nerve compression. If you look at Dellen's two-point discrimination, if it's abnormal, then there is axonal loss, and the degree of compression is too advanced for conservative management. There are three specialized receptors. We have our Merkel cell, our Pacinian corpuscles, and our Mesner corpuscles. The Merkel cell, sorry, the Merkel cell Uh, Its function is for constant touch or pressure, and it's slow adapting. To test for Merkle cells function, you can use the Sims Weinstein, a static two-point, and a tuning fork. The Pacinian corpuscles, their function is 256 hertz, movement and vibration, and they are rapid adapting. A test for this is a tuning fork. The Mesner crepuscles, they are going to recognize 30 hertz of vibration, movement, and they are also rapid adapting. So for Mesner crepuscles, you can use a tuning fork or moving two-point. So the Merkel cells are slow adapting, and that's going to be your constant touch pressure, and the Pacinian corpuscles are going to be your rapid adapting uh, detected with 256 hertz. And the Mesner corpuscles are going to be detected with 30 hertz. Quadrangular space syndrome. This is where the patient complains of shoulder pain and paresthesias down the arm with weakness in the shoulder region. Personage turner syndrome commonly occurs after a viral infection and affects the anterior, anterior nerve and the long thoracic nerve. Patients with Personage turner syndrome will have scapular winging, weakness in the deltoid thumb and index finger. The cell body of the sensory neuron is located in the dorsal root ganglion. Swan cells are located in the peripheral nervous system and create the myelin sheath around the axon. Sutterlin has five numerical classifications of a peripheral nerve injury. The first stage of Sutterland's is localized segmental demyelination and swan cell disruption with minimal structural disruption. The second is disruption of the axon only, a preserved nerve sheath and Valerian degeneration occurs. The third level of Sutterland's peripheral nerve injury is where the epineurium and the perineurium are intact, but the endoneurium is disrupted. The fourth, the epineurium is intact, but now the perineurium and endoneurium are disrupted. And then Sutterland's fifth uh, peripheral nerve injury classification is complete disruption of the endoneurium, perineurium, and epineurium. So for Sutterland's, an easy way to remember this is the um first stage is just segmental demyelination and minimal structure disruption. And then in the second, you will have axon disruption and wallerian degeneration. And the third is going to be the endoneurium, The fourth is going to be the endoneurium and perineurium disruption. And the fifth is going to be all three disrupted. Remember, the perineurium is a strong elastic tissue that surrounds each fascicle and protects the contents of the endoneural tubes. The perineurium is also a diffusion barrier to keep certain substances out of the infrasicular environment. The perineurium is also a blood nerve barrier. So not only do you have Sutterland's uh, five numerical classifications of peripheral nerve injuries, but you also have sedins, nerve injury categorization. So Settin's is uh, three levels. You have neuropraxia, axonomy- sorry, axonotmesis. I can't say that word, and neurotmesis. Neuropraxia is The patient will have good recovery. It's a very mild condition, um, like acute carpal tunnel syndrome. Axonomeatness is axonal disruption leads to wallerian degeneration of the distal axon, and neurotmesis is complete transection of the entire nerve trunk. Prognosis is poor unless surgical repair is performed. So Sutton's nerve injury and Sutterland's um, kind of go together. So for Sutton's, his neuropraxia, which is like the acute carpal tunnel syndrome, is uh, even to Sutterland's uh, first classification of a peripheral nerve. Axonal meatness for Sutton's, uh is axonal disruption and Wallerian degeneration. So this is going to correspond with Sutherland's second uh, classification. And then neurotmesis is going to um, be with Sutherland's third, fourth, or fifth classification. Sympathetic function. So what you will see if it's a vasomotor response you will see changes in skin color, skin temperature, and edema. If it's a pseudomotor response, you will see sweat. If it's a pilomotor sympathetic response, there will be a flesh. And trophic changes can be hair growth, nutrition to the skin and nail changes. Thoracic outlet syndrome, you have um, two types. It can be vascular or neuro- neurogenic. If it is vascular, you can have arterial or venous. If it's neurogenic, you can have true neurogenic or dis- disputed. True neurogenic is very rare. And the patient shows objective signs of nerve, com- nerve compression. They'll have parathesis of the medial forearm and ring finger and small finger. Usually this is due to a bony anomaly presence of the first rib. A disputed neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, the symptoms will be more vague. They will have shoulder pain, weakness, headache, neck and scapular muscle spasms, arm dysthesias, and paresthesias. It's usually vague including the entire upper extremity. In a disputed neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, the patient may have swelling, cool hand cyanosis, all may be present. After a nerve injury um, or repair, the sensory will return in a specific order. The first that will come back will be pain, then temperature, 30 Hertz vibration, moving touch, constant touch, 256 hertz vibration, touch localization, two point discrimination and stereognosis. So I'm going to repeat this because there was lots of questions on this. The sensory return in order is pain, temperature, 30 hertz vibration, moving touch, constant touch, 256 hertz vibration, touch localization, two-point discrimination, and lastly, stereognosis. When a patient can detect 256 hertz vibration, then they are ready for late stage sensory re-ed of object recognition. The earliest sign of nerve compression is detected with change in a static two-point discrimination. With two-point discrimination test, normal is less than six millimeters, fair is six to 10 millimeters, and poor is 11 to 15 millimeters. We're gonna talk about the nerves throughout the upper extremity now. Each major peripheral nerve enters the forearm through a two-headed muscle. So the median nerve is gonna enter through the pronator or teres the radial nerve will enter through the supinator and the ulnar nerve will enter through the flexor carpi ulnaris. So the median nerve arises from the lateral cord, which is C6 to C7, and the medial cord, C8 to T1. The order of innervation for the median nerve starts with in the forearm, it's going to be the pronator teres, the FCR, the palmaris longus, and then the FDS. Then the median nerve is going to transition into the AIN, the anterior interosseous nerve, and innervate three muscles, the FDP of the index and middle finger, the FPL and pronator quadratus. Then the median nerve goes through the carpal tunnel and divides into the wrist and hand and innervates APB, opponents pollicis, FPB, and the lumbricals one and two. For the assessments uh, with the median nerve, when the anterior interosseous nerve is injured, the patient will not be able to form an O with the thumb and index finger. You can also do a Berger's test to assess lumbrical involvement in the carpal tunnel. The Berger's test is where a patient will hold a full fist for 30 to 40 seconds. A positive test, the patient will report pain and parathesias. If there's lumbrical involvement with carpal tunnel syndrome, then the patient will most likely need an orthotic that includes the MPs and extension. Other assessments include the Tanells, Phalens, and Durkins. A quick way to rule out carpal tunnel syndrome is to assess sensation in the Thenar eminence. If sensation is decreased, then it is most likely more proximal, such as a pronator syndrome verse, versus carpal tunnel. Remember, the palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve does not go under the recnaculum. So, if a patient has good sensation in the thenar eminence, then they do not have carpal tunnel syndrome. Instead, the issue is more proximally, such as pronator syndrome, because the palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve does not go under the retinaculum. So again, the median nerve arises from the lateral cord, which is C6 through C7, and the medial cord, which is C8 to T1. The muscles that the median nerve innervates are the pronator teres, the flexor carpi radialis, the palmaris longus, the flexor digitorum superficialis, Then it turns into the AIN, which innervates the FDPs of the index and middle finger, the FPL, the pronator quadratus, and then it dives into the carpal tunnel region and innervates APB, opponents pollicis, FPB, and lumbricals one and two. So now we're gonna switch to the radial nerve. The radial nerve is, comes out of the posterior cord, and the roots are C6, C7, C8, and T1. The innervation order for the radial nerve goes as follows. First is triceps, then enconianus, brachioradialis, ECRL, and ECRB. The radial nerve enters the form between the two heads of the supinator and then splits to the posterior interosseous nerve. Then it innervates the supinator, EDC, EDM, ECU, APL, EPL, and EPB, as well as EIP. So again, the radial nerve... Arises from the posterior cord, roots C6, C7, C8, and T1. The innervation order is triceps, enconius, brachioradialis, the ECRL, the ECRB, and then the PIN innervates the supinator, EDC, EDM, ECU, APL, EPL. EPB, and EIP. Now we're going to switch to the ulnar nerve. The ulnar nerve is in the medial cord and the roots are C7, C8, and T1. The ulnar nerve enters the form between the two heads of the FCU and does not innervate anything above the elbow. The order of innervation for the ulnar nerve in the forearm is the FCU and the FDP to the ring finger and small finger. The ulnar nerve innervates in the hand, the abductor digity minimi, opponent's digiti minimi, flexor digity minimi, lumbricals 3 and 4, all of the interossei, FPB, and adductor pollicis. Again, the ulnar nerve arises from the medial cord and the roots are C7, C8, and T1. The ulnar nerve enters the form between the two heads of FCU and does not innervate anything above the elbow. Order of innervation for a high ulnar nerve injury is gonna be FCU and FDP four and five. In the hand, the ulnar nerve innervates the abductor digiti minimi, the opponent's digity minimi, the flexor digiti minimi, lumbricals 3 and 4, the interossei, FPB, and adductor pollicis. The suprascapular nerve is in the upper trunk, its C5 to C6 nerve root, and it innervates the supraspinatus and infraspinatus. So an easy way is that it's suprascapular. So you have the supraspinatus and the infraspinatus. And again, that's in the upper trunk of C5, C6 nerve root. The axillary nerve is also C5, C6, and it innervates the deltoid and the teres minor. The long thoracic nerve is C5, C6, and C7, and it innervates the serratus anterior. The long thoracic nerve, is um, injury of this is a classic cause of scapular winging. Horner syndrome is due to an avulsion at T1 nerve root. Clunky palsy involves C7, C8, and T1 nerve roots. Clumpkey palsy is a lower trunk injury. With clumpkeys, you will see um, the shoulder, elbow, forearm, and wrist are all intact. However, the patient will have loss of finger extension and flexion, and intrinsic function will be lost in the hand. With Klumsky's palsy, severe sensory loss in the small finger ring finger and medial aspect of the forearm are present. So again, Klumsky palsy involves C7, 8, and T1 nerve roots. They will have normal motion proximally, but they will have loss of finger flexion extension and intrinsics in the hand. Herb's palsy, or Herb Duchesne is involving C5 and C6 nerve roots. So Herb's palsy is an upper trunk injury. So Klumpke's is a lower trunk. Herb's is an upper trunk. And with Herb's, they will have paralysis of the supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, the deltoid biceps, brachialis, and brachioradialis muscles. So Herb's palsy is gonna be all proximally affected, and that's gonna be your upper trunk, C5, C6. But with Klumpke, it's all going to be lower in the hand. And so this is going to be your lower trunk, C7, C8, and T1 nerve roots. So now we're gonna look at dermatomes. Um, Dermatomes do not follow the actual like nerve path. So um, they're separate. Dermatomes, C5 goes from the middle deltoid to the elbow. So we're gonna start at the top of the arm um, and work our way down. So C5 is middle deltoid to the elbow. C6 is is then gonna take it from the radial forearm region. And then C7 is gonna be the radial thumb. Then we're gonna return back up to our axilla. This is gonna be T2, our axilla region. And then the medial upper form is T1. And C8 is going to take it from the medial form down to the ring finger and small finger. So again, our dermatome starting at the top from our middle deltoid to our elbow is going to be C5. The radial forearm region is going to be C6. The radial thumb is C7. Come back up to the axilla region. So now we're on the medial portion of your arm. The axilla is going to be T2 The medial upper forearm is gonna be T1, and then the medial forearm to the ring and small finger is gonna be C8. Hansen's disease, which is also known as leprosy, is, is due to an infectious bacterial disease that damages the nerves in the limbs and facial areas. With Hansen's disease, sensory loss occurs before motor loss, and deformity can be prevented with early detection. Um, Sympathetic nervous system symptoms, we've kind of already talked about this, but I'm going to repeat it. So uh, if they are having a vasomotor response, you will see changes in skin color and temperature. A pseudomotor response is going to be a change with sweat, so they can be hyper or hypohydrosis. A pilomotor sympathetic response is going to be goose flesh. Trophic motor responses is going to be skin texture changes, soft tissue atrophy, nail changes, and hair growth. Um, nerve injury symptoms. You will see in an early stage the sympathetic changes will be rosy, warm, dry skin, um, without goose flesh, and trophic changes will be um uh most likely with hair, it's gonna be falling out or longer. But a late stage nerve injury, you're gonna see more of the skin modeling, the cyanosis, cool skin. The skin is non-elastic, and they're gonna have the curved nails. Um, for ulnar nerve paralysis, there's several uh, signs and symptoms that you can look for. Uh, so the first one for ulnar nerve is a fromence. With a fromence, they will have a pronounced flexion of the thumb IP during a key pinch. So this is where you have them, um, you ask them to hold a paper and you try to pull the paper away. And when they do, they the IP becomes um, extremely flexed in order to hold that paper. The gene sign is hyperextension of the thumb MP during pinch. So you can also see this with that paper assessment. The Wartenberg sign is inability to adduct the small finger. The Deschene sign for ulnar nerve is clawing of the ring finger and small finger. So this is known as the Duchenne sign. And an extreme claw deformity is going to be more noticeable in a lower um, ulnar nerve injury. A gawa sign is the inability to cross the middle finger and ring finger or the middle finger and index finger. So in other words um, within a gawa the middle finger cannot adduct or abduct. Andre Thomas sign is um, when the wrist goes into flexion when attempting to extend the middle finger. So you ask the patient to extend their middle finger, flip them off, and what happens is the, the wrist goes into flexion. This is the Andre Thomas sign. And last for ulnar nerve uh, paralysis, you could see a Massy sign, uh, where it's flattening of the metacarpal arch. And that is all I have for chapter three.